MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, January 6, 2020. Today, an impeachment update. Uh, Lev Parnas has granted permission to share more documents with the Intelligence Committee. Solomon was Giuliani's toughest critic until he wasn't. Judge Leon dismissed the Kupperman case. The U.S. held off on Argentinian sanctions while they reviewed Trump trademarks. And a bunch of good news in the C-Block. I'm your host, A.G., and with me today is Amanda Reeder. Hello. How are you? Happy New Year. Thank you so much. I'm good. Uh, I feel I'm ready for 2020. Yeah. Slightly overwhelmed, but I'm ready. It's already like, god damn it. It's so fucked. Um, But like personally, I feel ready to like tackle this year and do a lot of good shit. And I feel excited about that. But politically, I feel despair. (laughs) Well, we are now entering uh, election season. Oh, yes. And uh, we'll go over that in a little bit. Um, And did you have, what did you do for New Year's? What did I do for New Year's? Didn't you go see Bone Thugs and Harmony or something? <laughs> yes, I did. Um, a friend That's of mine, so awesome. Yeah, a friend of mine won free tickets to this show at the House of Blues in San Diego, mm-hmm. and um, so I went to see Bone Thugs and Harmony, and they gave away free champagne at midnight mm-hmm. and dropped all kinds of balloons. I don't know any music by them. Mm-hmm. I was like a four year old when they came out with their hits. Um, it was an experience. Mm. It was an experience. Yeah. It was I, a fun one. I liked them in the 90s. I accidentally called them when I was drunk Bone Thugs and Marrow. That's hilarious. Because I was like, Bone Marrow? Uh, that's not what they're called. No, that's not what they're called. <laughs> um, but they were great. <clears throat> Good. And yeah. you had fun. I did have fun. Yeah. There was a lot of people there living their best lives. Yeah. I mm-hmm. went to some house party that a comedy producer had and uh, went down to that and we sang uh, karaoke. Mm. And it was about nine o'clock when I started falling asleep. And uh, I like stuck it out till midnight and then went home. I was very tired. Um, and then, you know, I went to uh, visit my mom over the holidays. We, you know, we took two weeks off and, and we've been airing the, you know, some of my favorite mm-hmm. interviews for Daily Beans. I hope you guys enjoyed those. Um, and uh, now we are back. We're back. So, uh, but except Jordan is on uh, vacation now. Yes. She's in New York. Mm-hmm. And so she will be there. I think she comes back on the 8th or the 9th or something like that. So. Uh, It'll be just us until then, and uh, we have a lot of news to get to, so let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, so despite there being a two-week congressional break, a two-week holiday break, Congress was gone, we did get a lot of news in the impeachment inquiry, including a release of multiple emails between the Office of Management and Budget, known as the OMB, and the Pentagon, uh, showing not only that Trump directed the hold on Ukraine aid personally, but that the Department of Justice had redacted multiple incriminating statements in those emails uh, when they were released. From the New York Times this weekend, uh, separately, we learned that Trump disclosed that there were 20 emails between uh, Blair and Duffy discussing the freeze of congressionally mandated aid to Ukraine. And in a response to a court order that it provide those pages, um, a FOIA lawsuit filed by the New York Times, the OMB wrote a letter saying it will not turn over any of the 20 emails, not even with redactions, and all 20 are being withheld in full. So Blair, in case you forgot, was the acting chief of staff to Mick Mulvaney, who is, Blair has since been promoted, uh, telecommunications guy or something. And Duffy uh, was the Trump insider put in charge of the hold at the Office of Management and Budget after they took out Mark Sandy, a career official. 
They took him off the job. Uh, the reason cited by OMB for withholding the documents is that it could, quote, inhibit the frank and candid exchange of views that is necessary for effective government decision making. <laughs> Uh, David McGraw, a lawyer for the New York Times, uh, will challenge the blanket withholding and ask the judge, who is, by the way, Amy Berman, Judge Jackson, if you're nasty, to approve an expedited briefing and argument schedule given the urgent public interest. In a separate FOIA case, from the, the and this one's from the Center of Public Integrity, we did get multiple emails between OMB uh, and the Pentagon comptroller named uh, McCusker, showing that the Pentagon warned the Office of Management and Budget, uh, Budget on multiple occasions that withholding the aid could be a violation of the Impoundment Control Act. It's, it could be illegal. And when, around what time did they warn them of this? Uh, what they was were the timeline? All throughout June to October. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and when these FOIA uh, emails got handed over, they were heavily redacted. But on Thursday, Just Security released a report. It had viewed those Center for Public Integrity emails in their entirety unredacted, and the Department of Justice had improperly redacted a lot of the substance, including an August 30th message from Duffy to McCusker saying there was clear direction from Trump to continue the hold despite warnings, and despite a meeting we learned about over the break where Bolton and Pompeo warned Trump about continuing the hold, but he did it anyways. And that was an Oval Office meeting. The Times also separately reported last week that Blair warned Mulvaney uh, to expect Congress to, quote, become unhinged if the White House went ahead with the hold. Uh, these revelations were undoubt will undoubtedly bolster the Dems' case for calling Blair, Duffy, and Mulvaney as witnesses in the Senate impeachment trial if, if Pelosi ever sends the articles over. Um, the problem for Trump is that whether these emails and documents come out during the trial or whether they come out later through FOIA requests, the truth will come out. And regardless of whether they're part of the official impeachment inquiry or not, the political ramifications will be the same because we know the Republicans in the Senate will not convict Trump, regardless of what evidence we have. Some some are arguing they might, um, and that some of them are starting to peel off, like Collins and um, Murkowski, saying they're you know saying they're uh, upset or uh, worried or you know somehow disturbed. Uh, but we've heard that before uh, from from these uh, Republicans, so I don't put much faith in in that. Uh, but maybe they would, which is why we advocate for waiting f for additional articles of impeachment to be drawn up, impeachment to electric boogaloo, <laughs> and passed before the House managers are selected and the articles are then sent to the Senate. Um, additionally, this past Friday, a federal judge ruled that Lev Parnas is allowed to share more documents and information, including contents of one of his iPhones, with the House Intelligence Committee. All of this evidence will only help prove what we already know to be true— that the only reason Trump withheld the aid was to pressure Ukraine into opening investigations into the origins of the 2016 investigation and his political rivals for the purpose of lifting sanctions on Russia and winning re-election. So we know that to be true. That's why the articles were passed. All of this evidence that's being purposefully withheld is only going to show that. And, yeah. of course, Adam Schiff has come out and said, you know, in response to all this, um, you know, I guarantee you that, the, you know, these documents, these emails that we now know are incriminating are only part of, of the, the tranche of documents we've subpoenaed from, from the White House and testimony we've subpoenaed from the White House. And we have to assume that, you know, any cover up or withholding of these documents or testimony is only to cover up incriminating, more incriminating evidence. And, he, and he's right. Uh, I think Glenn Kirshner uh, pointed out that in baseball, if you refuse to take a drug test, they automatically assume that you're doping. Yeah. Uh, and, and the reason is, is because why would you refuse to take a, a drug test that could exonerate you uh, yeah. if you weren't using drugs? Do you think that there's any chance in hell McConnell agrees to have any of these people, you know, 
become a witness? So far, he has not. He, right. he, he has said now that he's more open to witnesses, but not he's not open to putting it in writing before the trial begins. So I, I don't think so. But again, we only need four Republicans to vote, to have a simple majority vote in the Senate to call these witnesses. And of course, Chief Justice Roberts, I think, could call them on his own uh, without sending it to the Senate for a vote. But I think generally he probably wouldn't do that. Uh, he would probably send it to the to the to the Senate, full Senate for a vote. Mm-hmm. Like I said, we only need four Republicans. I don't I don't trust him, though. And even if like even if, let's say, um, Chuck Schumer and Adam Schiff got a guarantee from four Republican senators mm-hmm. that they would vote for witnesses, would you trust that? No, um, I wouldn't either. I would Mm-mm. get it in writing and, and I would say, hey, if you're willing to say that you would call these witnesses, just put it down in writing before we um, mm-hmm. select these House managers and send the articles over. Otherwise, no. Yeah. And she's not under any obligation or any timeline to send these over in a timely fashion. No, although Box of Wine Judge Janine Pirro has said that there's a statute of limitations on impeachment. Uh, oh, OK. Thank you, Fox which, News. Which there is. Excellent legal advice. Which there is not. <laughs> So um, that's weird, uh, but interesting. And by the way, we did it in like less than two months, three months. Uh, you know, so I, I don't understand this whole you're going too fast. This is too fast. And then, oh, you know, you sorry, you've gone past the statute of limitations there. They just don't have a clear defense and they never once have stood up for the president's behavior. It's always process. Um, and speaking of witnesses testifying in the Senate trial, Judge Leon dismissed the Kupperman case as moot. Um, which Trump supporters call mute, but it is moot. <laughs> it's a different word. Kupperman was second to Bolton, and he was subpoenaed by the House to testify, but filed with the courts to have them tell him what he should do. Since Congress subpoenaed him to testify, the White House told him not to. So we have the legislative branch saying one thing, the executive branch mm-hmm. saying another. He wanted a tiebreaker, so he went to the judiciary, uh, the judicial branch. And uh, Congress withdrew their subpoena and asked the judge to dismiss the case as moot because there was no longer a subpoena. And that has now happened. And what that does is it leaves the McGahn ruling as the only ruling as guidance for whether the likes of Bolton and Kupperman should testify in the the Senate trial. This dismissal is good because it eliminates a potential bad ruling in the courts and it prevents the the Republicans from using the defense, well, we're not going to testify right now because it's going through the courts. It's being litigated in the courts. And that would be an excuse for not showing up to testify in the impeachment trial. That eliminates that excuse. I do not know why Trump also wanted this case dismissed as moot, but he did. Hmm. Maybe he's just not smart. Uh, and Politico put out an interesting piece last week about John Solomon uh, and how a decade ago, John Solomon's reporting helped sink Giuliani's presidential campaign. Solomon is a reporter at The Hill who published Rudy's trash dossiers written and funded by Fertosh about the Bidens um, recently. Back then, though, a decade ago, 2007 or so, Solomon was a national investigative correspondent for The Washington Post. He wrote several stories, bylines, uh, meaning he, you know, he wrote them with other people critical of Giuliani that caused considerable damage to his presidential ambitions. The stories detailed the close relationship between Giuliani's campaign and Giuliani's private law firm, Giuliani Partners. Uh, And other reports covered Rudy's relationship with Bernard Carrick, the former commissioner of the New York, you know, NYPD, New York Police Department, who had hired an undocumented immigrant as a housekeeper and a nanny. Uh, These old reports make the new ties as a fellow traveler and, you know, like a kind of a part of the Three Amigos entourage. Uh, very weird. Um, 
And now that he's a reporter for Rudy, it's very odd. Um, that is kind of a weird turn of events. <clears throat> yeah. And the stories Solomon wrote are now under review by The Hill mm-hmm. amid questions about their accuracy. I'm surprised <laughs> they didn't do that at first before they published them. But Solomon has since left The Hill and he's trying to start his own media company. Um, I'd be interested to know what you guys think he should call it. Uh, you know, we've got stuff like fraud guarantee and, and uh, essential consultants. But, we, you know, what should John Solomon's new media company be? Hit us up on Twitter at Daily Beans Pod uh, <laughs> and let us know what you would call it. Uh, and he's still a Fox News contributor. Um, oh, Fox News. And Solomon has hired lawyers, um, Tonesing and DeGeneva, who also represent Fertosh. And are also Fox News contributors. (laughs) Speaking of Fox News, have you seen the movie Bombshell yet? No, I'm not gonna. No, I mean it's it was good. The performances were good. It was none of the story was a surprise, but it was just it was fun. If you hate Fox News, (laughs) yeah, I just (laughs) it was an enjoyable experience. I'm just like, oh, poor thing. I'm just you know like, no, totally, yeah, whatever, Meg and Kelly, but um. (laughs) No, I haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, and I haven't seen the one about Ailes yet either. And I've, I've been meaning to see that too. Oh, is there another one about Ailes? Yeah, there was a documentary that came out. Oh, a documentary. Um, yeah. About that that I've been wanting to see as yeah. well. But I haven't seen that either. I've just been steeped in this news. And then when I took took a, the vacation, which you all told me I had to take, um, I tried to, you know, rest. Yes. So It was very necessary. So um, what happens <clears throat> next with this? With which? With the Solomon stuff? Yes, indeed. Oh, uh, you know, who knows? <laughs> um, I mean, this is just sort of a, a special interest piece that, mm-hmm. isn't it weird? Yeah. That the guy who could go down for, you know, lobbying, not registering as a foreign agent, um, Solomon, uh, this conspiracy theorist, Fox News, who has the same lawyers as Fertosh, uh, w- was once anti-Rudy. There's like 10 of these guys. They're all BFFs. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, the lawyers that they try to get him to help him? Yeah. Yeah. There's not many. It's like when you watch British TV, there's like only 10 actors. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, or the Hallmark Channel. Yeah. There's like, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I love some British television. But like, if you watch a show from the UK, it's going to have the same 10 actors on it over and <laughs> over and over. You're like, oh, she's on the other show that I just watched. That's all they have. Yeah. Like so <laughs> so whenever I say, oh, guess who they hired as lawyers, yep. you can pretty much bank on it being totally. Tonesing into Geneva. Uh, but we will be right back. We have a new, well, relatively new uh, reporting on a on a quid pro quo, at least a transactional um, situation going on between Trump and Argentina. So stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and today's episode of The Daily Beans is brought to you by Zola. Zola makes wedding planning so much easier and way less stressful. They have wedding websites ready to go, registries, invites, uh, and a guest list manager all in one place. And I wish I knew about Zola when I got married because we had used five different vendors. It was a complete clusterfunk, uh, which is also the name of our wedding band, by the way. I'm just kidding. But Zola made it easy. It puts it all in one place. And I was like, oh, I wish this was around when I got married. They have free wedding website designs. It's easy to create your site in like 10 minutes. You can add cool features like an online RSVP page, custom URL, which was big for me because, you know, most sites are like some weird number (laughs) situation that you have to use. But you can make a custom URL and you can have a frequently asked questions page, which is really nice because, you know, a lot of you you just don't have time when you're planning a wedding to field all these questions from your friends and family. And they have the highest rated registry of all time. You can register for gifts, experiences and honeymoon funds. Um, You can add gifts from other stores or sync existing registries and you get free shipping and returns. 
uh, and free and easy exchanges, which you will use, I promise. There's also price matching and group gifting, which is really convenient as well. And you can shop your whole paper suite at Zola, too, from beautiful, affordable invites to save the dates and thank you cards, all designed to match your wedding website. Customize your own with photos, wording, and more. Zola will help you collect addresses and track the RSVPs with their free guest list manager. They'll even address your envelopes for free. And so far, Zola has helped a million couples get married, and they'll help you too. So go to Zola.com slash DailyBeans today and use promo code SAVE50 to get 50% off your Save the Dates. You can also uh, get a free personalized paper sample before you purchase, which is awesome. They'll send it to you. So that's 50% off Save the Dates at Zola.com slash DailyBeans and use promo code SAVE50. You'll be glad you did. Okay, welcome back. So uh, here's an interesting story that got buried um, under some other news that's just, you know, whatever. Uh, I, I can't even remember, but uh, <laughs> there's some other stuff. Avalanches of news. There's some other stuff going on. But this got buried. Uh, and this is from the amazing folks at CREW, the Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington. I want to work there when, when this thing is all over. Hire me. Uh, quote, the unbridled potential for corruption from President Trump's decision to maintain his international business casts a constant shadow over American foreign policy. Um, the, the latest questionable example comes from two new Trump trademarks in Argentina, unquote. That's from Crew. So on November 6th, Trump received approval for uh, two new trademarks in Argentina, according to a trademark database reviewed by Crew. And these trademarks, the first Trump has received from Argentina since he took office, coincide with Trump's reversals on tariffs on Argentina. So in December 2017, Trump applied for these trademarks. In May of 2018, the U.S. reached a deal with Argentina to permanently eliminate tariffs on aluminum and steel. Then after Argentina approved the trademarks in November, Trump restored the tariffs. So it is curious that Trump did not reinstate the tariffs until after his trademarks were approved. Um, Trump's family has been granted 63 foreign trademarks since he took office. And of course, Ivanka's business received trademark approval from China right after Trump agreed to save jobs from the Chinese company ZTE. Ivanka was later granted three more trademarks on the same day Trump agreed to lift sanctions on ZTE. She also applied for two trademarks in Japan, which were granted the same time Pence visited that country. And then Ivanka was granted a record 16 new trademarks in China and uh, another two Russian trademarks. <laughs> Uh, that coincided with, uh, you know, uh, p uh, U.S. policy. Uh, these kinds of things would ordinarily be massive scandals, but not with this administration, obviously. Our news cycle is being swallowed whole right now by the, assassina the assassination of Iranian General uh, Soleimani, and rightfully so, because this is a major provocation. And despite Trump's reassurances that this was done to stop a war and not start one, He's nonetheless sending thousands of troops to the Middle East. And now Iran, Russia, and China are running military drills together. So that should help you sleep. Um, oh, God. This war will cost American lives, countless civilian lives. The last time we did this, 4,000 American lives were lost. 200,000 civilian lives were lost. Uh, Trump apparently told friends about it before it happened at Mar-a-Lago. He told his pals before he did this. I'm sure they all bought war stocks in companies like Raytheon and Honeywell and GE. But most, I'd hope somebody's looking into that, probably crew. But the most disturbing thing here is that no one believes Trump or the State Department or Pence or Pompeo when they say this was done because of a threat of imminent attacks on the U.S. by uh, Soleimani. So this president has no credibility. The administration has no credibility. He didn't tell Congress about his plans, which is frightening because Congress is the branch that's, uh, that is allowed to authorize war. Uh, he has no plan here going forward. Uh, Pelosi put out a statement saying, you didn't tell us and you need to tell us what the plan is. And she's demanding it. 
Uh, and there's a reason the two previous presidents didn't kill uh, Soleimani. Trump will tell you uh, it's because they didn't know where he was or they weren't good enough to find him. Uh, but they did. They knew exactly where he was. They were tracking his movements uh, and Bush and Obama. They left him alive because they knew uh, he was more dangerous, dead and martyred than he is alive and plotting. And I'm not sure how smooth this move was politically either, because Americans are tired of endless wars. Trump ran on bringing the troops home. And now the Democrats have a major new tack to run on against Trump to put back the Iran deal, repair our relationship with NATO and end the conflict with Iran. And I'm I'm also terrified in thinking about Trump reaching out to our NATO allies to build a coalition. You remember when Bush did this and he's like, mm-hmm. we got to put a coalition together, coalition of the willing. He coo coo. Yep. And he got, you know, some countries to, to go along with him. I don't see NATO, you know, we've isolated ourselves so much from NATO and we've shit on NATO so much. I don't see them wanting to back this play, especially with no plan, yep. no consul- consultation of Congress and no consultation of NATO allies. Well, I think that in terms of the countries in NATO, they're going to be divided because I know that the foreign secretary of the UK has said they're sympathetic to Trump. And so, but at the same time, like, will other countries in NATO be sympathetic to this? I don't think so. I think that's going to be a NATO divided, which, again, is probably part of the greater plot, right? Because Putin wants a weaker NATO. Yeah. And he just had a phone conversation with with Putin that we had to learn about again through the Russian media. Yeah. That's at least eight now phone calls and meetings that he's had uh, with Putin that that he didn't tell the record about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And... It, it, this is this is hard because growing up in Canada, when um, when the United States went to Iraq, Canada did not go with the United States, and um, I this does not feel like a great time for us not to be getting along. You know? Yeah. No. And and right now the U.S. isn't really getting along with anybody. No. And and with these bully. with these uh, Iran, China, Russia. Um, military mm-hmm. exercises. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long is it before North Korea joins that group? Mm-hmm. Um, now, apparently, um, let's see here. I've got a couple of things I'm taking. I'm writing notes now. It's She's stuff coming off the top of my head. <laughs> but um, it looks like MBZ is now going to come visit Trump and try to talk him out of this, out of an escalation in the Middle East. Mm. So this is goes along with what Putin wants, but apparently it's against what the Emirates want, like um, Saudi and the UAE right. want. Well, and it destabilizes the Middle East. It does, but yeah. you know, sometimes that can work in favor mm. of of uh, the Saudis and, and UAE mm-hmm. if they're trying to, you know, like when they put up that blockade against right. Qatar uh, because they were Kushner's buddy and Kushner was trying to extort money out of Qatar to pay for his building, mm-hmm. which they eventually did. Uh, but in this case... What's MBZ's reason for not? I I, I apologize. I'm, I'm a little bit ignorant sometimes on the like specifics of the geopolitical situation in the Middle East. What is MBZ's reason for for uh, you know citing the way they are right now? Well, there's probably 16 different reasons yeah. because there's so many uh, factions and, mm-hmm. and 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 different alliances that that happen in the Middle East is so fragile. Yes, and to you know, <clears throat> I mean, I, I, I would assume that it's it's like you said, destabilization in the region. Mm-hmm. It could upset their plans to get nuclear reactors built with the help of the Trump administration in Saudi Arabia. It, Iran apparently is the one who attacked their oil fields, and that's why we're there guarding those. Uh, and then, of course, we have Trump siding with Turkey, uh, trying to not get them sanctioned or not get them 
uh, indicted uh, and and Hulk Bank in Turkey and that one guy in Turkey for uh, going around sanctions, Iranian sanctions. And then, of course, we had the storming of the embassy just recently. Yeah. Um, which was reminiscent of Benghazi. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a, a total mess. And, and mm-hmm. if this was something that was just, you know, uh, we know Bolton was against this. Uh, but if this was something that was just off the top of his head, either to distract from, you know, the, the ongoing impeachment or yeah. to just I don't know, like what his motives are. Nobody knows what his motives are. He didn't share that with Congress and he didn't share that with the Gang of Eight. And a lot of a lot of Trump supporters are like, well, what do uh, Pelosi and Schiff expect if you're going to impeach the president? Why would he share these things with you? But you have to remember, only half of the Gang of Eight are Democrats. So McConnell wasn't uh, you know consulted on this. It's. <laughs> That's a bad reason. Yeah, and and so we don't know why. Uh, they you know, they're saying again imminent threat. Uh but now the I think there's been a uh coming out of the state department, you know how they have like threat conditions and mm-hmm. stuff like that. They were saying there's actually no imminent threat. So right. and no one fire levels weren't high. And no one believes him anyway. Right. Because why would we even though we don't know the reason? That's how destabilizing and frightening it is to have him as president is because we don't know what his reasons are. He hasn't said. And the reason he has given doesn't line up with anything and makes no sense. sense. Also, and I don't want to discount the importance of all of the lives in the Middle East, the civilian lives that could or would be lost. But um, he also put a lot of American lives in danger by not giving anyone a fucking warning about this and then it was like get out get out yeah now everyone has to get out yeah and and of course trump supporters are saying if you know why are you you know why are you mad that we assassinated this bad guy and i don't think they understand the nuance of the disagreement in the way that it was handled Mm -mm. um and you know i will answer that question with the reasons that obama and gw didn't assassinate this guy either is like i said he's he's more of a threat as a martyred dead man than mm-hmm. he is a, as a living plotting one because he's he, quite revered isn't he yeah but he was also sort of overhyped he wasn't mm-hmm. he didn't do that like he <clears throat> he wasn't an imminent threat to the united states he was a bad guy but, but now, now that he's gone but now you know trump supporters are like oh well you support the terrorists then you're like no just shut up and just no that's not what it is mm-hmm. um it's just extremely destabilizing it's mm-hmm. it's ho- like m- my whole worry is now going to nato for help and not getting it at least not all of it and and why would turkey want to even be in on that they're not in nato yeah but maybe he'll 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 seek help from assad in turkey like i don't are are not you know people not in nato that would be putin's dream come true yeah i'm looking at the nato member states here and looking at which ones would be like hell yeah let's back the us and I, i'm not seeing Many. I'm curious too. I mean, I guess what are the major powers in NATO here? Um, Germany is a pretty big power in NATO. I don't see them being thrilled to get involved with this. I honestly don't know. Yeah. Um, but that's what I'm worried about, and we'll have to find out. He's not going to be able to build the kind of coalition that you would need to back this move. What if because re- they're going to ask, what was the imminent threat? Mm-hmm. What have <laughs> Republicans been saying? Um, you know, hey, yay. And yay, and we're gonna yay troops, and just, yay. You didn't do it quite the way we wanted to, but we gotta back you anyway. Because they haven't actually said anything negative no. about it. 
just that he was a bad guy and he sh- and they're glad that he's gone. And, and, you know, that kind of forces everybody into this corner of having to, if you disagree with what he's done, then all, all, automatically you, you're either, because everything is black and white for him, right. everything's transactional. And if you don't agree with the way that he assassinated this guy, then that puts you on the guy's side. Like you can't have any other opinion besides those two. Yeah. It's, um, and, and that will be the argument. But like I said, politically speaking, we have an election coming mm-hmm. up and America is tired. And, and the people, a lot of people who voted for Trump voted for Trump because he said he was going to bring troops home and he yep. didn't want these endless wars anymore. Mm-hmm. And yet here we are provoking. He, he's trying to tell uh, his base that he's prevented a war. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even though th- he, he might start one, they'll probably still believe that. And then, of course, we have Pence going on the f- fucking floor and giving a speech about how this is connected to 9-11. And it's not. Uh, And it's just also um, a lot of people are worried about a reinstatement of the draft. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be worried about that. You know what? I'm going to be real with you for a second. As long as the student debt crisis exists in this country, there's not going to be a draft because there are precisely right. Yeah, there's like there's going to be tons of young people who, you know, want to not only serve their country, I'm not going to downplay the importance of serving your country and the respect that that deserves, but there are also a lot of young people who don't have a lot of um, resources Other or opportunities and who are going to join the military, Yeah, you know, and that's what they're counting on. And so I don't think a draft will happen. No, and particularly with, you know, the extension of the GI Bill, GI for Life, mm-hmm. and now, you know, you get all these uh, additional college benefits that you can, if you don't use, pass down to your kids. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't see, we have a, enough of a voluntary force that I don't, I don't see a draft being instated. So I wouldn't go that far. No. Um, I mean, this is... Uh, dangerous. Trump came back and said, well, if you retaliate, we're going to retaliate against your retaliation. He's like a fucking five-year-old. It truly is. It's it's terrible. Yeah. It's, it is... <laughs> missed, I missed the beans. <laughs> missed getting mad at Trump with you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, welcome back to uh, this new reality. Hey, 2020. What's up? Um, You'd be like... Nothing's going to happen over Christmas. I know. Nothing's going to happen over the holiday break. Nothing's going to happen. Our first beans of of the new year. And we're like, well, here we go. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Uh, But I tell you what, we are going to continue our tradition of showering the C block or or the D block, depending on how many breaks we have. Excellent. Good news. Mm -hmm. And we have an amazing schadenfreude and some really good news that that came out over the holiday break, too. So stay with us so that you can hear that and and come away from this this particular episode feeling much better than you do at this moment. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. This portion of The Daily Beans is brought to you by Noom. Wishing everyone a happy new year. This time of year, I always reflect on my past year. I focus on goals for the new year, and I'm trying to accomplish them this year with the help of Noom. Uh, As you know, I've been using Noom for uh, over a year now. I started it last year, uh, and initially I lost 17 pounds, and I've been able to keep it off. Now I have some more specific, tuned-in, like finer-tuned health goals that I want to meet that really don't have anything to do with weight loss, but just maintaining a healthy lifestyle. And with Noom, you pick the goal that are right for you, whether it's feeling better in your clothes, whether it's losing weight, whether it's not losing weight, just having more stamina to, you know, to keep up with, uh, you know, smashing the patriarchy or being more in tune with your body's needs or practicing better self-care, feeling confident, whatever your goals are, Noom personalizes a program to help your aspirations become reality. And I've been wanting to eat better, to feel better, to have more energy and less stress and anxiety. And that's what Noom did for me. They take a psychological approach based on cognitive behavioral therapy and they help me understand myself 
uh, and my habits. Uh, and so I could overcome obstacles that often sort of derail me in trying to have a, a healthier lifestyle. I love that Noom empowers you with the tools to break the bad habits and replace them with better ones. Um, like I said, it's a cognitive behavioral approach. It uses personalized coaches to help you reach your goals. You don't have to commit to a rigorous plan. It's just 10 minutes a day, and they make it super convenient with the Noom app. Uh, it's designed by psychologists and behavior change experts, and they assign you a goal specialist, and there's a whole community of Noomers, so they're always there's always support for you people going through the same things you are so over 80 percent of numerous finished the program over 60 percent have stuck with their goals from last year uh, it's a perfect time to make a step toward healthier habits so sign up for your trial today at noom n-o-o-m dot com slash daily beans what do you have to lose visit noom.com slash daily beans to start your trial today that's noom n-o-o-m dot com slash daily beans you'll be glad you did all right time for the good news block it's the happy, happy, joy, joy song. Happy, happy, joy, joy, happy, happy, joy, joy. Happy, happy, joy, joy, happy, happy, joy, joy. Happy, happy, joy, joy, happy, happy, joy, joy. Happy, happy, joy, joy, joy. I don't think you're happy enough. All right, a North Carolina voter ID law has been blocked by a federal judge who determined it was motivated by racial discrimination in a 60-page ruling that evoked decades of racism in North Carolina. The judge said the voter ID law was impermissibly motivated, at least in part, by discriminatory intent. North Carolina has a sordid history of racial discrimination and voter suppression stretching back to the time of slavery through the era of Jim Crow and, crucially, continuing up to the present day, unquote. Um, this also happened in 2013. Uh, Republicans in that state tried to pass a voter ID law, which was also struck down for racist motives. The judge that struck this one down, this latest one, is uh, Loretta Biggs. She's an Obama appointee, and she wrote, quote, racial discrimination and racial polarization have historically pervaded North Carolina's political climate and still do. This ruling means that people will most likely be able to vote without showing ID, at definitely in the March primaries, but the issue of the general election is still unsettled because this could go to trial before then, uh, though the judge did rule that no ID would be required in that election unless ordered by the court. So we'll see what happens with that. That's really exciting. I, I, I'm so happy to hear this because North Carolina has been so royally fucked the last few years. Yes. <laughs> you know, what was the thing that happened um, in their state, not legislature, but um, there was some sort of like scandal with their state government you, do you know what I'm talking about here? There's like 10. No, I know. But there's like one big specific one where they like changed the rules so that the Democrats who were like taking back control didn't actually have as much power as they had yeah. before. Yeah, that. And they've, yeah, been, yeah. and they've been also trying the gerrymandering. To, to make it very difficult for people to vote um, who are, you know, mm -hmm. uh, dis they're substantially disenfranchising mm -hmm. people who normally vote Democrat. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it happens a lot. This is one particular voter ID law that mm -hmm. got overturned. There's still a huge, um, uh, you know, sort of this effort to just mm -hmm. try to suppress the vote. And, yeah. they, and they've already admitted voter suppression happens rampantly and they do it to disenfranchise Absolutely. Uh, uh, these um, people who, who tend to vote Democrat. A 60 page ruling could be a book. Yeah, <laughs> it's a short book. It's a nice read. Yeah, it's good though. She yeah. she she does uh, bring up a lot of really um, salient points and, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, she she goes after the the like she said the sordid history of, mm -hmm. of racism and and voter suppression in North Carolina. She she goes all the way back. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. No, this isn't new. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not like they woke up in twenty thirteen and said, hey, you know what? <laughs> yeah. Hey. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
I knew. I have a new idea. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is go, goes way back, and she and she covers it all. It's a really great ruling. If you have a chance to read it, I suggest that you pick it up. I'm happy that you that you shared this story, and I'm going to keep my eye on what's happening with voter ID laws and voting laws and voter suppression all over the country this year. Super important as we... There's been a few wins, but not as many as we need. No, and then, of course, we know that SCOTUS just, mm-hmm. you know, uh, shot down that whole case uh, and said, no, nah, we, we aren't going to get involved in gerrymandering. Leaving it That's up to these lower courts. Um, but this this particular one went the way that it ought, have, ought to have gone. What was the name of the book? And I believe maybe you read it on Marley Short. Maybe you just had the guy on who wrote it, or interviewed the guy who wrote it. There's a book about um, about voting. Is it Seth? Seth Abramson? Did he write about voting? No. No. There was a, um, I, have to refer, I have to jog my memory, but there's a book that came out last year all about voting in America that I've been meaning to read. Mm-hmm. I'll, to, I'll, I'll think about it and come and, and talk about it on Tomorrow's Beans. Okay. Yeah. But I really want to read that because I would like to have some more insight as to these cases as they come out. Yeah, and it's going to be very important to because I know Eric Holder's working on this with Obama. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Stacey Abrams is working on it uh, in in her state, and uh, there's a lot of people who are who are specifically looking at where these laws are, what these rules are, and how to counteract them to make it a more fair election. Give us the ballot is the name of the book. Do you know who wrote it? Ari Berman. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't do that as part of no, our okay. as part of our uh, podcast. No. But, but yeah, I've been meaning to read that. Yeah. Let it. Yeah. Tell. Uh, give us a little rundown of it tomorrow. We'll be going over those things as the election heats up uh, mm-hmm. here on on Daily Beans. That, that's the election is. We're going to start focusing pretty hard uh, on the election and these specifically yep. these these uh, you know voter suppression efforts mm-hmm. that have been said and told to us by the Republicans mm-hmm. in several occasions whether they're giving speeches that you know voter suppression is our thing it's how we win uh to the citizenship question on the 2020 census that was specifically designed to create districts that disenfranchise uh democrat voters Mm -hmm. and or democratic voters and so it's it's we're going to really be focusing on this um as as election season 37 days until the california primary really yeah yeah no no, longer than that. Super no, Tuesday? the Iowa caucuses. The Iowa caucuses. My bad. Yeah, yeah. thirty-seven days until the Iowa caucuses. Yeah, we're th- we're a couple months away from. Yeah, March third in California. Yeah, mm-hmm. holy shit. About three months away from that. Yeah, that's all the time you get. <laughs> that's it. Oh, speaking of which, if you haven't, if you are registered not as a Democrat, you might want to do that so that you can vote Democrat in your own in your primary in your state. Yeah, I was some, reminded of that over the weekend. Some states have open. Some do primaries. Not all do. And now that voter rolls are being purged a lot you're going to want to double check your deadline to register Mm -hmm. do that now and you're going to want to make sure you're registered i know that you know i i went and double checked i'm still registered but there are a lot of people who for no reason um no rhyme or reason to it have been purged from the voter rolls had to re-register and if you don't do that in time for the election or the primaries you don't get to vote that's another one of their cheaty tricks yeah so be careful of that. And now it's time for some schadenfreude. schadenfreude. This one's good. A Texas judge has ordered that Alex Jones and Infowars must pay $100,000 in court costs and legal fees in the Sandy Hook case where the families sued Jones for his promotion of conspiracy theories about the 2012 school shooting. 
Neil uh, Haslin, wrote, uh, whose, whose six-year-old was killed in the shooting, sued Jones and Infowars for insinuating that it was a false flag operation. And on December 20th, Judge Scott Jenkins granted a motion for legal expenses against Jones and Infowars, ordering them to pay $65,825 for ignoring a court order to provide documents and witnesses. And also that same day ruled he had to pay an additional $34,323 after he denied Jones's motion to dismiss the case. Add that to an earlier October order to pay $126,000. And, uh, quote, it's hardly a surprise that someone like Alex Jones would soon find himself in contempt of court, but now he's learning that there are severe consequences to his utter disrespect for this process. God, that's yes. The, that's the lawyer for the Sandy Hook family. If high blood pressure looked like a person, it would be Alex Jones. <laughs> <laughs> he is walking hypertension. He just... Like, like, don't get me wrong, like bad news and bad characters make me stress, but there's something about his whole energy that just like, <laughs> just, like s- sends me to a fucking panic. But yeah, he is like the embodiment of hyper pressure. He just is. And I'm and he this is like going to explode. It's totally. And this Sandy Hook thing, I, I remember it was buried somewhere in my, you know, psyche. psyche. Yeah, it was buried somewhere in the other bad news stories that I absorb. But like, this is just so particularly fucking disgusting to i mean look we all quote unquote politicize gun violence in one way or another right like you have to quote unquote politicize it um because we're trying to uh reduce the deaths of children but to politicize it in that way and to spin it as a conspiracy theory and to lie about it and to hurt these families it's so beyond the pale Mm -hmm. (sighs) fuck that guy yeah, well, now he's... <laughs> <laughs> Hope you're all sharing that collective moment with me. Everyone. All the money he made selling fake vitamins and supplements so the frogs don't turn gay, he probably has to hand over Is that now. a thing? Oh, uh, I, I might be conflating two of his conspiracies, but he did sell supplements. Uh, <laughs> and he did say that uh, the water was turning the frogs gay. Oh, uh, my God. I don't know if one prevented your frogs from turning gay or you from turning gay uh, by drinking the water uh, that the government, uh, you know, is in charge of. But uh, in any case, uh, all that money that he made selling all that fake shit probably now has to go to pay for all this. It's funny. Related to frogs turning gay. Um, there is a story. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. <laughs> there is a story that just came out about how impossible burgers have a lot of estrogen in them. And there is like people, you know, right when people who are like, don't eat these. It'll make you gay. Like, don't let your kids eat veggie burgers. There's lots of estrogen in them. And one of my trans friends, she was like, fuck yeah, I'm going to eat like 50 of these. I'm so excited. <laughs> she was like, she was like, get me as many as possible. So uh, I enjoyed that flipping of the script of like right wingers getting pissed, being like, it's going to turn you gay. My trans friend was like, I'm going to eat as many of these as possible. Yeah, I'm menopause. I need estrogen. Yeah. So maybe you know, maybe I'll just OD on these impossible burgers. Go out and get yourself some. <laughs> Reminds me of Samantha Related in stories. Sex in the City with her yam juice or whatever. <laughs> what a terrible movie that was. Anyway. Um, that is our show. Uh, I do have a, a final thought. Uh, I know you do too. But the next Dem debate is coming up January 14th. Um, but over the break, uh, Castro dropped out of the race, mm-hmm. which makes me so sad. Yeah. Uh, I don't understand how the likes of like Marianne Williamson and Tulsi Gabbard stay in this thing and, and, and folks like uh, Harris and Castro uh, have dropped out. It's um, It's a bummer to me. Yeah. 
It's really sad. You know, I, I really appreciated Julian Castro's voice on matters of immigration and um, especially his um, in the earlier debates when he was talking about how we have to decriminalize these border crossings. Right. Because basically, essentially what we're doing at the border right now is kidnapping. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think we're losing that perspective and that voice. And that's very sad. And so um, I, I I hope he goes on to do other rad things. I'm sure he will. Yeah, he's his his career is just just starting totally but uh sad uh it's just i mean we kind of knew at the beginning we were going to end up with probably you know biden sanders and warren Mm -hmm. we sort of knew that but as these as these folks drop out it's you know it nothing kind of prepares you for that the the actual eventuality or the reality of it happening do you know what i mean it's like no man i mean i will say this i once weird silver lining i guess you could say in the fact that it's probably going to end up with two old straight white guys as the final top two there's you can play zero identity politics with that it's completely you can't i mean look it's we have a loss of diversity but i guess if we have to find a silver lining you could say okay they're both old straight white guys like there's zero identity politics now it's entirely down to policy i suppose right um however like if if warren makes it in you know, she's going to be continually asked, you know, can a woman win? Right. Uh, well, uh, Hillary got three million more votes. Absolutely. So, yes. Yeah. yeah. I just meant in terms of the, like, choosing the... the uh, that question has been answered. Yes. <laughs> God. We can move on. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah. yeah. I guess, look, I'm not thrilled about it either, but yeah, I'm just... Well, a lot of pundits, not me mm-hmm. specifically, but a lot of pundits say that because of identity politics, Democrats can and have lost voters because of identity politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't seen any actual hard evidence of that. Well, your identity is political. Yeah. You know, like that's <laughs> you can't avoid that. Like you do have a different perspective or a different um, you have different things to say if you are a person of color and or you're a woman and or you're, you're affected by politics in a different way. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, I'm just trying to find the somewhat of a silver lining here. But well, it's, it's nice of you to try to pull that out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's, forever an optimist. It's still um, it, it kind of paints a picture of the DNC being less awesome than I thought it was. Yeah, but I mean, I have been not thrilled with the DNC since for a couple of years since yeah. Debbie Wasserman Schultz. But uh, you know what? Like, maybe they will surprise us with how things go this year. So far, <laughs> not so I far. don't know. But I'm, you know, I mean, uh, it, this is his decision. I trust his decision. But how he got to this point is another matter. So we'll see. Yeah. But, you know, be prepared. And also, it's no guarantee that the Democrats going to win in November. Um, no. We have to vote. We've been getting a lot of messages about this actually recently. Um, we've had a couple, not co- like not corrections, but a couple of emails that we didn't include in corrections, which were basically like, stop assuming that Trump is going to lose in November. And like, we're not, you guys. We're just trying to be optimistic. <laughs> yeah, but we need to be careful about that because yeah. we were all super sure that uh, Clinton was going to win in 2016. Very true. Uh, and we shouldn't be that go we shouldn't go forward that blindly no not that around. naively so voting super important um i have a i have a a little final thought yeah what's your final thought yeah um well it was going to be entirely about meatloaf talking about how greta thunberg is brainwashed <laughs> by the way in case you didn't know meatloaf the uh artist popular in the 80s is a climate skeptic and thinks that Brit- greta thunberg has been brainwashed has come out like what's with all these old men attacking these young women it's 
anyway, so um, in response to that, um, I am going to adopt a koala in Australia. Um, it's my favorite animal and thousands and thousands and thousands have died. We've talked about this on the show and um, they need medical help for the koalas right now. And so that's what I'm going to do in response to Meatloaf's shitty comments is I'm going to spend $70 and I'm going to help pay for the medical bills of um, koalas who've been hurt by these climate change fueled bushfires. Nice. So yeah, fuck you, Meatloaf. <laughs> Was there a joke going around Twitter that he's become a vegetarian? <laughs> Has he? Google that. I don't know if it's real or not, but somebody said he's not going to change his name to Vegloaf. Vegloaf. <laughs> <laughs> It, that could just be a joke. That's funny, though. I mean, it, it's a pretty appropriate name for a climate skeptic. <laughs> yeah, but like, how could you possibly go after Greta Thunberg and then become a vegetarian? <sighs> Unless your doctor forced you to. I just Googled meatloaf vegetarian. And, <laughs> and you just got a bunch of recipes. It's just, it's just <laughs> recipes for vegetarian meatloaf. It's, it's not what I was looking for at all. Meatloaf vegetarian, the guy. <laughs> meatloaf singer. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> then you can uh, somebody will have a recipe for a uh, vegetarian singing meatloaf. He is he he is part of the International Vegetarian Union. There you go. Michael Lee Ade, didn't know that was his real name, but, uh, American rock singer and actor of stage and screen uh is in the International Vegetarian Union. He was in Fight Club. Was he? Yeah. You know, my most shameful admission is that I've never seen Fight Club. Mm. Ever. Yeah, you should see it. I should see it. His name was Robert Paulson. So yeah. Um, so he's a vegetarian. He is a meatloaf. Vegetarian. Meatloaf is a vegetarian. Right on. Okay, not a joke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's what's happening so far in the world is when we're like, is it a joke? I don't know. We have to look it up. Is it the Onion? Is it Hard Times Net? What is it? Nope, it's real. Uh, all right. If you have any corrections, you know where to send them, and because uh, that could be <laughs> that could also be a joke. I don't know. I can't tell what's real anymore. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm so glad to be back. So thank you all um, for letting me take a little bit of a break. It, it meant a lot to me. And please, everyone, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. I've been AG. I've been Amanda Reader. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.